Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. How are y'all doing tonight? Sweet. Good. Awesome. That was mild. Um, yeah, super, super glad to be here. Uh, I do want to ask a question. Um, how many of y'all were, you've been around this weekend at some point. Maybe you heard the message that Chase gave this Sunday morning or you heard it this past Thursday. Okay, if not, that's totally fine. <laughs> if not, that is totally fine. But I want to encourage you, go back and listen to that message. Um, I got a chance to hear it for the first time this past Thursday for Thursday Night Live. And at that point, I was pretty close towards the end of the message you're going to hear today. And I really think that it is a work of the Holy Spirit, that this message is kind of uh, a kind of a continuation of that one. If you're not familiar, we have been, uh, we just kicked off a brand new series in, uh, I'm a middle school pastor, so we call it Big People Church. Yeah, so we started this series called Inside Out, and it's all about our feelings and our emotions and the things like that that we deal with and that we go through. And, and I think this is huge. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are in, a, in Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we're taking this time to really dive into this thing. And, uh, and if you were here at the night of worship last week, Matt Curtis, he kind of introduced this idea of, of wholeness, uh, probably a word that we're more familiar with hearing when we read the Bible is peace. But when you really dive into the idea of peace, really what it's talking about is a sense of wholeness. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit more here tonight. Um, and we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 to do that. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip there. Go ahead and click there. Do whatever you got to do. Just kind of hold your finger there. And we're going to end up uh, checking that out in just a little bit. But first, let me pray for us. Dear God, uh, we love you. And we're super, super thankful for you. We're thankful that uh, in this time, in this world that we live in, uh, where it seems like it's super, super easy for things to just fall apart, God, you care about us. You care about our health uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all that stuff, God. Um, we love you so much. And, and my prayer um, for each and every person here is that we walk out of these doors differently than we came in. That we would walk out of here with a passion and a desire and this, there's just this burning need to be in deeper relationship with you, God, because that's what we believe you want for each and every one of us is for us to be more dependent on you than we are for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would awaken something inside of each and every one of our hearts here today so we can leave out of this place ready to draw closer to you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit's voice would be louder than my own. We love you, and it is in your son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So um, I am from New Orleans, Louisiana, originally, for those of you who don't know. And when I lived down there, I was volunteering with a, a youth ministry that was down there as well. And every year we would do this thing called D-Now or Disciple Now, right? I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with this, if you've ever been a part of that or seen anything like that. But it's this really, really cool thing that um, I don't think enough churches do. Uh, basically what D-Now is, is uh, it's a, it, it invites the entire church into an opportunity to... Um, disciple the younger people in the church. So uh, we have small group leaders that help out. There are uh, people who open up their homes and say, it's kind of like an in-house retreat thing. So like kids come to the church, we do the whole like Bible study thing or whatever. And then they go to houses of people who live in the church and they do like, a, uh, like small group times, right? Uh, so we need people to donate their houses. We need parents to uh, transport people back and forth to all the different places that we're going. And a big part of this is we get small group leaders who aren't normally a part of our church to come and help out. So at this church that I was a part of, uh, I, the youth pastor at the time, he got some of his old youth kids who were now college students to come down from Ohio to Louisiana to help out with, with Disciple Now. And um, amongst that group of people, there was a girl. It should start to put a little bit of a knot in your stomach because this can't end well, right? Uh, but this girl comes down along with the rest of her friends 
And, uh, and every year, for three years that I was serving with this ministry, this group would come down, they would serve for a week, and then they would go back to Ohio. And I don't know if it was like the missionary goggles or like the, you know what I'm talking about? But like when you see someone who like, when you love Jesus and you see other people who love Jesus, those people just kind of become naturally attractive to you. So from a distance, I had been watching this girl and she's leading small groups and she's, you know, just, she seems like she's, she's got some stuff together. And naturally I find myself kind of attracted to her. So the third year that this happens, uh, she comes down and uh, she's about to leave. And, and this is the one time where I'm like, maybe I'm gonna say something. I don't know, like this feels weird, I don't know. But, but I wasn't that sort of like guy, like I wasn't super like aggressive and like wouldn't take that first step. Uh, and so the week is coming to an end, we're all celebrating at dinner or something like that. And um, right like as they're getting ready to leave, she goes, hey, I know everybody else is getting ready to go back to Ohio. Um, my roommates, from Ohio are coming down. We're gonna spend a week down here for spring break. And I was just wondering if you and your friend Nathan would be okay being our like tour guides around the city. And me being the calm guy I was, I was like, oh God, yes, please. Like you can stay wherever you need to stay. I'll bring you wherever you need to go. I'll pay for things. Like, I don't care. I was like ready to dive completely headfirst into this thing. And so she comes down for a week, her and her friends, they all have a good time, all this other stuff. They get ready to leave to go back to Ohio. We all gather around, we're hugging, we're crying, all this other stuff. And I get back in the car with my friend Nathan. And I legitimately looked at him and I said, Nathan, I think that's the girl I'm gonna marry? Like super confidently. Like I, I, I think this could potentially be it. So now she hops on a plane, she goes back 922 miles back to Ohio. And uh, we just kind of start talking, right? And soon into talking, we realized the feelings were mutual. That She was kind of feeling the same way. I'm like, oh, this is, this is dope, I like this. So time goes by and, and some of the other friends who came down from Ohio, they're getting ready to get married now. And so I'm like, cool, I'm gonna come up for the wedding. It's gonna be great. Uh, so I go up to the wedding and we go into this with the mindset that we're gonna have like the conversation, right? We've been talking on and off for a really long time. This is, this is the DTR. This is the def define the relationship, right? Not defeat the Russians. That's what I thought when she said it and I got really confused. Define the relationship. So I go up. Wedding comes and goes, everything goes well. Um, and so we're, we're hanging out at these people's house and, and she's getting ready to leave. So I walk her out to her car and I walk her out to her car and ever so confidently, uh, I go, so. She looks at me back in my eyes and she goes, yeah, um, logistically, I just don't think this is gonna work out. On the plane flight up there, I was talking to God and I was like, God, I, you know, I, I know we're going into this conversation. I feel like things are gonna go well, but, but even if they don't, God, I trust you. And then she says, I don't think this is gonna work out. And right before she gets in her car and drives away, I look at her in her eyes and I lie to her and I lied to God. And I said, I understand. And then she went away. I'm gonna tell you the, the rest of that story a little bit later on, but I just wanna ask you, have you ever been in a situation similar to that? Where you felt like God had something lined up for you, you can kind of imagine how it's gonna play out, you think this is everything that you ever wanted, you feel like God is, he's, he's putting things into order, right? This is when we're like, all things work together, this is it. And then it doesn't work out the way that you thought it was. And now you find yourself like you're missing something, right? That you're, that you're lacking something. Maybe for you, you're, um, 
you're four and a half years into a five-year plan and it does not look like it's gonna end up on schedule. You've changed your major a couple of times. You were pursuing a field that you felt called to and now you, maybe you're not doing that, you're, you're kind of settling for something else and so you're like, okay, well, this is, this is kind of whatever. And there's this sense, this something that rises up inside of you that just thought, I thought my life would be more. I thought I would do something different. I thought I'd be better. I thought I'd be further along by now. And now you're, you're getting closer to this timeline and you feel like, man, am I failing? Is, are things not going the way that I thought they would? And what happens is, is we tend to turn our anger towards God. And we think, well, God, you aren't who I thought you were. This situation isn't what I thought it was gonna be. None of this stuff. And you find yourself getting really upset. And if you're, if you're not careful, you lose your peace. Matt, last month when we got into this whole thing, he, he shared with us a verse. It was a, a first, um, I'm sorry, first Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. And it says this, it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And, and the thing that I kind of want you to, to zone in on in this passage is, is that word completely, right? Now this word is only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's by James. And, and James is talking about it in the sense of wholeness, right? So what we call peace, what Paul calls completeness, James calls wholeness. And James defines it as lacking nothing. He says that God will bring you to this place of being complete, this place of being whole, this place where you will feel like you will lack nothing. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't the type of person that growing up felt like I was lacking nothing. As a matter of fact, I'm constantly reminded and inundated with the things that I do lack. I'm constantly being bombarded with things on social media. These Instagram ads are killing me. I'm constantly getting bombarded with the fact that I didn't go to a traditional college and so I don't have the education that I should have. I'm conditionally or, or, or um, uh, constantly bombarded with the fact that maybe I wasn't given the best education about finances growing up and so now I'm dealing with the, the results of all that stuff and I'm constantly feeling like, God, why do I lack the things that I need? And this creates a sense of restlessness and a sense of unsettled and a sense of what I want to call discontentment. And I firmly believe that discontentment is the opposite of peace. It creates this sense of restlessness that you have to pursue after something that you've already received in God. Let me, let me put it this way. If discontentment leads to restlessness, then contentment must be a vital part of us having peace or wholeness. I'm gonna say that one more time. If discontentment leads to restlessness, then contentment must be a vital part of us having peace. Now, where do we find contentment? You're in church, I'm a preacher, so you can probably guess what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say that you find that in God, right? That is the place where you find completeness and wholeness. And so there's a, a chapter that I wanna look at. It's Philippians chapter four, I told you about it earlier. Uh, this is the chapter that, that Chase looked at a lot in this, uh, in this series that we're going through right now in Big People Church. Uh, and I'm gonna pick up uh, I'm gonna pick up in verse 10, all right? Let me set this up a little bit for you really, really quickly. So basically what's happening is, uh, is Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's in jail. 
And his friends in the city of Philippi, that's where we get the name Philippians from, his friends in the city of Philippi are sending him resources and just kind of checking in on him. They're like, hey, Paul, we know your situation sucks. This isn't great. We want to send you some encouragement. We want to send you some food. We want to send you some money, all this other stuff. And Paul writes back to them in a way that I would not expect a man in prison to write back to his friends. Uh, If it were me and I had a pen pal on the outside, I expect that pal to send me encouragement but Paul actually writes to them and sends them encouragement. And so that tells you there must be something significant about what Paul has. This is a verse a lot of us are probably familiar with, but I wanna, I'm gonna go ahead and read it for us and we're gonna dive into it. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Check this out. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, back in 2006, there was a book that came out. It was called The Secret. Has anybody ever heard of this before? The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Um, It was disturbingly successful. Um, this book sold over 35 million copies. That same year, there was a documentary that came out about it. I didn't realize this, but when I was looking into it, uh, there was a movie that came out just last year with Katie Holmes and uh, Josh somebody, I don't remember what his name is, uh, but just came out this past year. Like it was freakishly successful. And if you've ever been like online or you've been to like a coffee shop and you've overheard somebody say something like, oh, I'm sending you good vibes or uh, I'm gonna manifest this thing or I'm just gonna say in the universe, if it's for me, the universe will give it to me. A lot of where that language comes from, at least for our generation, comes from this book from 2006. It was this idea of the law of attraction and positive thinking reaps positive rewards and all this other stuff. And it was just like, listen, if you want something, you make a vision board, you think about it hard enough, you imagine yourself having it already, and then you're gonna get it. And this book was titled The Secret, which is probably why it sold like hotcakes. Only other thing that would have sold more is if they actually called it hotcakes. But it's the secret, this is what everybody wants. So people go out and they flock and they buy this book in droves. And the problem with it is, is that even if it worked, which I don't think it does, even if it did work, there would be a major problem. Why? Because you can manifest and imagine and think about all these things you want, but when you get them, you're gonna want more. So what do you do? You make another vision board. You start thinking about more things. You start trying to attract more and more stuff to you. And I don't know if you've ever met a person before, but we do not get content very easily. Whenever we get something, we want more things. Even the genie in Aladdin is like, you get three wishes and you can't wish for more wishes because you would never stop, right? He gets it. He understands this concept that we're always chasing after and diving after and wanting more things. And one of the things that I love is that a direct, um, what I feel like is a direct uh, attack on this book is the fact that Paul in Philippians says, I have found the secret. And in 2006, people were still chasing for it. But over 2,000 years ago, this guy already wrote about it. What if instead of pursuing everything that you ever wanted, you rested in the idea that everything you could ever want is found in unity with God? He even goes as far to say the unity with God is the only place where you will ever find contentment. And I'm not sure how many of us, uh, even those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, truly believe that and truly live into that. I think we know, oh, Jesus is all that I need. Until the rent's due. 
<laughs> till, I, till I need a car to get me from point A to point B. Thought Jesus was all that I need, but maybe, you know, some snacks would help. <laughs> I know this feeling all too well. It was the same thing that I felt on that airplane coming back from Ohio. Because as somebody who was, who was battling actively against singleness, I felt like, oh, well, I just need the relationship. Like everything in life seems to be going well. If I just had someone to date, then maybe I'd be all right. And I remember I'm sitting on this airplane and, uh, and my head is, is pressed up against the window, have my headphones in. It's really like music video stuff going on. You know? In my head, there were raindrops outside, but that's not how planes work. So, um, and I'm sitting there and uh, I remember I'm wrestling with God. I'm just kind of going back and forth with him and I'm thinking about how I feel and God, you said this was, I thought this was gonna work. I felt really good, really confident about this. It doesn't work out. And I just, about halfway through, I just took a deep breath and I remember I closed my eyes and I said, God, I am content with you. And I don't know if I've ever heard the voice of God audibly, but as clearly as I think I, I possibly could have, maybe it was the altitude, I don't know. I felt like God said to me loud and clear, no, you're not. Come again? I, I feel like I am, right? I've been chasing after this thing. I didn't get it. I feel like I'm okay with you. And in this moment, I, I truly, I got this, this kind of like image in my head of somebody preparing for a race. Now, how many of y'all have ever run a marathon before? That's about as many hands as I expected, not a ton, right? <laughs> uh, I think for most people in this room, if we were to go out and try to run a marathon, our goal would be to finish, right? Like if I could just get past the line, I'd be okay. But there are some people, I don't know if you know this, they run for fun. I don't know why. But they train and they get ready. And they say, you know, this is, you know, this is my, my age and gender bracket. I'm gonna try to finish first in this. Now, this is something I can't relate to, but I would imagine... If you ran a race with the intention to finish first and you trained for months and you tried really, really hard and you came in second, there's this moment where you're like, like you kind of feel like a failure. And what our idea of contentment is, is normally we're like, well, at least I came in second. I'll, I'll settle for second place, right? I'm gonna think about all the people who came in behind me, but at least I came in second. And that was my idea of being content in God is that I'm gonna settle for God. And he checked me. And I, I clearly sensed him teaching me. Contentment with me is not um, settling for me. Being content in God is being supremely satisfied in him. Contentment in God is not settling for him. Is being supremely satisfied in him. And it's coming to realize that God actually has everything I could ever want and everything that I could ever need. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the secret. That's what Paul wanted his friends in Philippi. And that's what I think Paul wanted all of us, our audience reading Philippians today to recognize that whether we have almost nothing or everything, whether he has a full stomach or an empty one, whether, uh, we made it, whether he made it out of that prison dead or alive, he had God. And what else is there? Feel that? That's peace. That's wholeness. That's the idea of it all 
coming together. It's the realization that God plus nothing equals everything. How can a man in prison with no food and no resources feel like he has everything that he needs? How can that man experience peace? I don't, I don't, I naturally don't understand that. And I think that's the reason why just a few verses earlier, Paul calls it the the peace that surpasses all understanding because it shouldn't make sense. It doesn't. I'm sure when his friends sat down to write that letter and send him his resources and put that care package together, they were sending this like, oh, poor Paul. We can't believe he's in jail. Really, really tough go for that guy. He's a good guy, but man, I can't believe this is happening for him. And Paul, he gets this letter and I think he's sending his letter back and he's like, you know what, y'all, I'm kind of chilling. I think I'm, I think I'm okay. And I don't, I shouldn't be, I'm in jail. I don't have food, I don't have the resources that I need. I, I don't know if I'm gonna make it out of here alive. I mean, the, the prison guards and the other prisoners, they're making fun of me all the time, but you know what, I, I'm good. There's a peace inside of me that surpasses all understanding, and I got that because I have found the secret, and it is contentment in God. You know, I thank God for the day on that airplane for me because as painful as it was, that situation brought me to this place. It brought me to this place where I can realize and come to recognize that I only need him. And I'll tell you, for me, for my my dating life, that took a long time to get to. And I feel like it wasn't until um, I actually reached that point and came to that settling in my mind that I met my wife. We can both tell you, we met, um, it was on a college trip going to Passion 2019, and neither of us were looking for one another. As a matter of fact, she went saying, uh, (laughs) write me if I'm wrong, we talked about this yesterday. Her words were, um, God, teach me how to be friends with guys uh, without like falling for them. And then we got married. That's how it went. So um, that's, that's how that plays out. But neither of us were looking for some. We had actually both made a resolution that we weren't looking for. Why? We were because we were both completely chasing after him. And if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all of these things will be added to us. So the question I want to ask you is, is what are you chasing after? And does it have you stressed out? Are you chasing after something that you think will bring you peace, but in turn, it's actually the thing stealing your peace away from you because you're so obsessed with getting it? In your title, is the word young slowly starting to fade away from its place in young adult? And do you feel like there are some things you haven't achieved yet? Do you have that dreadful feeling that you should be further along than where you are at your age? Do you think that if you achieve ABC by XYZ, or unless you do that thing, that you've somehow failed? Can you hear the clock tick-tocking down to the end of this imaginary timeline where you feel like a failure? I wanna share something else that my wife shared with me one time that absolutely changed my mind and uh, blew my world. She said, I never wanna put expectations on myself that God didn't put on me. And I wanna know how many of you have those expectations for yourself and they're not being met and so now you feel uneasy. The reason why I want to tell you, because what I'm saying here is not that you shouldn't pursue anything. What I'm saying is that you should pursue after God. And the beautifully paradoxical thing about following after God, and this is, it blows my mind because nothing else in the world works like this. You ready? In your pursuit of him, I have to say this slow because if not, I'm going to mess it up. In your pursuit of God, 
when you're on your way to him, is the only thing that you're never fully quenched of. You're like, I want more and more of God, but somehow, paradoxically, you are, you are satisfied the entire way there. And I don't get that. We don't deserve that. That is a goodness that we can't, you can't find that in a book anywhere. Well, maybe that one, but any other book, <laughs> you won't find it anywhere. How can I so desperately, uh, like the psalmist says, how can, like the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, Lord, but they are still fully sustained each and every way by the goodness and greatness of God. Maybe that's because of another promise that we get in the word that says that if you draw close to him, he'll draw near to you. It's the only place where you will find that rest and that contentment for your soul. I don't know if you've ever been high before. Um, but this is like what that is. Anybody who wrestles with addiction, anybody who chases after a high, this is how it works. You get high one time, and then each time that you use that substance again, your goal is to reach the high that you got the first time. And it never happens. And that's how addiction starts. But with this, God is saying you can be 100% completely content with him each and every step of the way. And this is what Paul, he clues us into in the previous chapter, in Philippians chapter three. Philippians 3, eight says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. And if you need a fun word study, go and look up the word garbage because that's not the word he uses. The word he uses, I can't say in church. <laughs> Why? So that he could gain Christ. You know, Paul was just like a lot of us. He was chasing after this idea uh, of what he thought success was. And he came to realize that that thing is unobtainable. And when that happens, it can either lead you to a place of restlessness or to what God wants for you, and that's wholeness. So again, I wanna ask you, what are you chasing after? Are you continuing to look to God, to look to everything other than God to give you what only he can give you? And does it have you tired? Does it have you stressed? Does it have you feeling like your life has no meaning until you reach that thing? Does it leave you feeling discontent? I want you to think of what that thing is that you're chasing, and I have great news for you. You ready? You're never gonna get it. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're never gonna get it. And let me tell you why that's the best news, because if you ever got it, you would get there and realize it's not what you wanted all along. And I don't know if there's anything worse than wasting our time here on earth, pursuing something that we think we want, all the while missing God as he calls out to us every step of the way. I would hate to live a life that's stressed and restless, void of peace, when the source of all peace is right there. 
If that's you and you feel like you're running after that thing and, and you feel like you're, you're headed towards this finish line that just, as, no matter how close you get, it moves a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further away. I just wanna, I wanna redirect you for a second away from that imaginary finish line into the arms of a God who loves you. And in him, you find fullness of joy. In him, you find rest for your weary souls. In him, you find the bread of life. In him, you will, you will find the water that you can drink and never be thirsty again. Whatever it is you're chasing after that you think will fulfill you, it won't. But Jesus promises us in Matthew chapter five that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So I'm gonna challenge you to do something. Today is September 19th. And uh, if you've been obsessing about something in your pursuit of it, I wanna give you a challenge for the next month to do something. Whenever you start to think about that thing, I want you to redirect yourself and to pursue after God instead. Maybe that means you pray and not for that thing, right? Because that's what we'll do. Oh God, I'm coming to you because I still want that thing really bad. No, 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 no. Pray for more of him. Maybe that means that every time this feeling starts to rise up inside of you, this feeling of discontentment, you, you whip out Philippians and you read it. The entire book takes about 15 minutes cover to cover. And I encourage you, remind yourself of the intimacy that is available to you with God through Christ Jesus. Maybe it means, maybe it means that you delete all the dating apps off of your phone because that's an area of your life where you feel like you need to give control back to God, that you're trying everything your way and, and all of your trying and all of your effort when really you need to give that over to him. Maybe it means you limit yourself to actually only working 40 hours a week. No more because you think, oh, this is what I have to do to get that promotion or to get that raise. And I know right now, some people are having objections. You're like, that is what I have to do to get that promotion. That is what I need to do that raise. But it's not gonna satisfy you. Have goals. I'm not telling you to sit on the couch and eat Doritos and wait for Jesus to come back. What I am saying is that in your pursuit, the only way that you'll be satisfied is to realize that even if I do, even if I don't, God, you're still good. The goal for all of us, the secret, as Paul calls it in Philippians chapter four, it's this, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Let's pray together. God, we're sorry. Um, we wanna apologize for those times where where we let idols take your place, where we moved you out of the rightful place in our lives in order to put other lesser things. God, I'm, we're sorry for those times where we were running hard after you and, and something caught our eyes, something shiny over in the corner got us distracted and we ran that way instead. 
God, call us back to you. Help us to refocus. Lord, we are tired of running. We're exhausted, chasing after this imaginary brass ring that's just keep moving every time we think we get close. Lord, I pray that there's not a single person in this room who when their plans don't work out, don't think, well, I can settle because I have God. No, God, I pray that we experience true contentment. Then that's not settling, but being supremely satisfied in the deepest, most innermost part of our being, God. I pray that each and every one of us will find the satisfaction and the peace and the wholeness that you promise for us in our word if we just move towards you. God, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.